time we've had so far singing our praises to God. It's not just singing songs, is it? It's not just reading words on a screen. Far, far more than that. When the people of God sing praises to God, He says, there I am in the midst. There I am. You can sing a million and one songs, and you'll never find the performer who sang the song, who originated the song, being there in the midst when you sing their song. But when you sing praises to Him, when you sing His song, He promises to be in the midst. That's why it's different. You can sing your songs to Abba. You can sing your songs to whoever you want. Britney Spears, the Beatles, Elvis Presley. He won't be in the midst. You can sing your songs to a million and one of these idols within our world, and none of them will be able to come into the midst of your problem, of your issue, of your situation in life. But when you sing praises to Him, hallelujah, He says, I will inhabit the praises of my people. And whether that's collectively as the family of God as we do every single week, or whether it's when you're in your car going to work, when you're out walking and in need, you sing your song of praise. You, you declare your anthem song from your heart to God, and He will come into the midst of your life and envelop you and comfort you and enable you to do what He calls you to do. Isn't that wonderful? When we sing praises to Him, it's not and it never will be just a song. Hallelujah. It's the very song of our heart that God inhabits, that the Lord presences Himself in. I'm so thankful that I can sing praises to God in tune, sometimes, rarely, most of the time out of tune, but praise God. David said, make a joyful noise. He didn't even say sing in tune. He said, just let noise come from your heart. God will understand it, and He will envelop it with His presence. Wonderful. Well, today we're in John chapter 7 in our series, Walking Through the Gospel of John, and we're going to call today's message, The Greatest Invitation. The Greatest Invitation, because at the heart and center of John chapter 7 is the greatest invitation that's ever been given by Jesus Christ. It stands as relevant today for people of our time as it was for the time when Jesus spoke it some 2,000 years ago. And to set out the scene around this greatest of invitations, John the Apostle takes us into Jerusalem to the moment of Jesus' inviting call. As he remembers how the whole city that day was bustling with hundreds of thousands of Jews, all celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was through this great, incredible feast that God's people would come out from the comfort of their own homes for seven days to live in little tent-like shelters, all to remember 
how God had protected their homeless forefathers in the wilderness for 40 long years. Also, as part of this great feast of tabernacles, every morning, the priest would go from the temple to the pool of Siloam, and there before the crowds that followed him, he would fill up a golden water pitcher, and then he would make his way back to the temple to the multitudes before him, all singing their joyful praises to the Lord. Then before them in the temple, at the altar, the priest would pour out the water to the sound of shouts, to the sound of singing, to the sound of a jubilant people who were celebrating before their Lord, all to celebrate and commemorate how the Lord had provided water in the wilderness from the rock as it was struck by Moses. God provided water and food for His people for over 40 years. There were no water sources. There were no places of refreshment in that wilderness, and yet Paul tells us in the, in, I believe it's in his second letter to the Corinthians, he tells us that a rock followed them, and that rock was Christ, and from that rock came living water. This joyous ceremony occurred every day over the seven days throughout this feast. And it was on the last and greatest day of the feast, at the most climactic moment, that John recalls how Jesus stood up. And with a loud voice, he cried out his great and open invitation for all to come to him and drink. On that day, Jesus was saying to the vast multitudes that had gathered there in the temple, I'm the very substance of all that you're celebrating. Come to me. Come to me, whoever thirsts. You'll thirst no more. Let me read to you from John chapter 7, from verses 37 through to verse 39. It says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty... Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This, on this day, has to be the greatest invitation that has ever been given. No other person in the history of our world other than Jesus has ever spoken such words like this. Jesus, seeing the vast needs of the human heart, Jesus, knowing the vast needs of all of mankind, called out. And this promise from his lips on this day was not some cheap throwaway promise that never comes to anything. 
It was and still is today an all-sufficient invitation that appeals to every thirsty hearer to take him up on his invitation, to take him up on what he is saying. Let anyone, he says in verse 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Just think for a moment how simple those words are. Simple words. You can't get confused by what Jesus is saying here. There's no room for misunderstanding. There's no room for confusion. Simple appeal. Simple invitation. And by calling out to anyone, Jesus is making himself available to everyone. Anyone. Think about the words that he's using. Anyone covers the length and breadth of the whole human race. Anyone means everyone without class or distinction. At every stage and age of life, anyone is a vast appeal. Anyone is a universal call. And it's something that only Jesus could speak. It's only something that Jesus could fulfill and substantiate in Himself. Now, for us to dig a little deeper into what Jesus is promising through this invitation to us, there's four wonderful things that are implied that I want us to look at this morning for a few moments for us to understand more about this invitation and the broadness and the sufficiency of it. Firstly, we can see in Jesus' invitation that there's a condition to meet. A condition to meet is implied through the invitation that Jesus is given, giving here to the people there then and to us today. Now, when we hear about conditions that we have to meet, sometimes, I do anyway, I get a little bit nervous. A condition to meet? Am I going to meet the criteria? Sometimes we get nervous when we think about fulfilling conditions that we have to meet. Am I going to rise to the standard that's required? Am I going to measure up? But we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. Because I can guarantee all of us here this morning that we all meet the condition that's required in this invitation that Jesus gives. Because the only condition you and I must meet is the condition of being in need. You have to be thirsty. This invitation is ignored by the satisfied. This invitation is ignored by the self-fulfilled and the proud. But to a thirsty person, it's highly attractive. To a thirsty life, 
that is parched and like a wilderness, dry. Oh, to such a life, this invitation has such wonderful appeal. It's highly attractive to the thirsty, to the needy life. A thirsty person is a needy person. Physical thirst is the strongest drive within the human body. It's the strongest desire. And what we'll see as we look at this is that Jesus isn't just talking here about a physical thirst. He's using something physical to represent something spiritual within all of our lives that we all know about. A soul thirst, a spiritual thirst, an emptiness inside that needs to be satisfied. And it's into that very desperation within the human heart that Jesus is speaking, that Jesus is offering wonderful, all-sufficient provision. But it's not enough just to be thirsty. Because once we recognize our needy condition, we're called to take action. And that's the next implication within this wonderful invitation given to us by Jesus, that there's an action to take. And that action is very simple. Very simple. It's encapsulated in three words that Jesus used. Come to me. There it is. That's the action that we have to take. Come to me. And again, it's such a simple point. But it's amazing how people look for fulfillment outside of Jesus And then they wonder why their life is so unfulfilled. They refuse, refuse to take the necessary action to come to Jesus. That's the action that's required. Come to Jesus. That's the call and the invitation that He makes. By using that word come, Jesus calls us to leave where we are, not physically But spiritually, that's what you did when you came to Christ. That's what you did when you realized that your life was completely bankrupt without Him. That's what you did when you saw all other sources that you tried to draw refreshment from as faulty and broken. That's what you did. You came to Christ. You took the necessary action to leave where your life was stationed You found your satisfaction in Him. You took action. And the action was simple. The call and the invitation was clear. Come unto me. Oh, I am so glad at 15 years of age. I came to Him. My life has been satisfied ever since. It hasn't been problem-free. There's been some up and down moments 
But even in the up and down moments, I have found one who has been faithful, one who has never left me, one that has never forsaken me, one that has met me on the mountaintop, and one that has met me in the valley. Hallelujah. Irrespective of the season, there is one who fulfills the thirst of our human heart, of our empty heart. And he has never failed. And I know that that's the testimony of all of us here this morning that are in Christ. Come, Jesus says, take immediate action and the necessary steps towards me. And on Jesus' door, you don't find a little sign these are the opening times. See, you can come to him 24-7, 365 days of the year. It matters not. You can come to him in the morning. You can come to him in the afternoon or even in the middle hour of the night. And he'll be there waiting for you. Come. He calls. Come to me. Are you thirsty? Come to me. Come to me. All who thirst. He's open. Ready to receive. There's no conditions around these three little words, come to me. It's an open, universal invitation, an appeal as wide and as deep as humanity itself. Take immediate action and the necessary steps, he says, towards me. Decide to turn away from where you've positioned your life and turn to me. Maybe this morning you, you're thirsty, even as a believer. Maybe this morning you have to recognize that you've positioned your life far too long in things that will not quench the thirst and the need of your heart. Maybe today you have to take the necessary steps back to, the, to, to Jesus in order for Him to be the source to fulfill the thirst that you really long for. It means going in a new direction for your thirst to be quenched. Come to me, he says. Don't go to all of these alternate sources. You know, when you come to Jesus with your needs, with the many thirsts that drive your life. And let's make no mistake about it, our lives many times are driven by thirst. Our, behind our actions, there's a motivator and a driving force of thirst that cause us and others to do all kinds of things. But when you come to Christ and you reveal the thirst of your heart to Him, He doesn't say, well, uh, I, I'm really sorry, Dave. I, I, I'm really sorry because I don't specialize in quenching this particular thirst. You're going to have to go to so-and-so down the road. You're going to have to go and... No. Jesus quenches every thirst. Jesus specializes in quenching all thirsts. It matters not what it is. He won't send you somewhere else. 
He won't give you an alternative solution to meet the needs of your heart. Unequivocally, he says, come to me. Come to me. I'm the one that can, that can meet your needy soul and your parched life. Come in a new direction. Come to me. Leave where you are. Leave what your life is positioned in and see me solely as the one that can meet all of your needs. And then the next implication in this invitation focuses on a decision to partake. This is easy, isn't it? This isn't difficult to understand. The language and the imagery are easy for us to process because they're every day, and Jesus was brilliant at taking up very simple aspects of everyday life in order to show us spiritual things. The next implication in this, invita in, in this invitation focuses on a decision to partake. Drink, he says. Drink. That's a decision that you have to make to partake. Drink. Nobody can do it for you. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make that thing drink. You try all day. You can whip it with a whip, hit it with a plank of wood. It matters not. The will of a horse is strong, and it's the same with human beings. The source of living water can be stood before us, but we have to make a decision to partake. We have to make a decision to drink. There's no lengthy procedure to follow. No detailed instruction to outwork. If you're thirsty, he says, drink, drink of me to a thirsty person who has gone for years looking for the source of life, looking for years for fulfillment and purpose to a thirsty person, they will drink and quench their thirst. No one else can do it for you. We, and this is what's being said, we have to personally come to Jesus with all of our thirst, with all of our need, and drink from Him. I remember hearing a story about a leading world scientist who on one occasion went to see the great evangelist who is now in heaven, Billy Graham. And speaking to Billy Graham, this successful man said, Mr. Graham, when people see my life, when people see me, they envy the great position that I have as an eminent scientist within our world. Because all they see is the success and the prosperity that my position has brought me. But what they don't see is that my home is a wreck, and I'm a secret alcoholic. I've come to you tonight because I need help. 
And if I don't find help, this is what this eminent world scientist said. He said, if I don't find help tonight, I'm going to end my life. He couldn't take the pressures of life anymore. He said to Billy Graham that those pressures were crushing, those pressures were too great to carry. That man who visited Billy Graham was thirsty. He was thirsty for living water, and all of his life he'd sought to quench the thirst and the needs of his soul. He sought to satisfy the thirsts of his life in accomplishment, in success, and in notoriety within his field. Yet all of his great success, all of his prosperity, all of his wealth left him empty, left him desperately thirsty, unable to cope. Now, that's a different message from what you will hear in the world around you. If you want to quench your thirst, become successful. You want to quench your thirst, become prosperous. You want to quench your thirst, build up your likes, clickbait. That's a different message. This is a different message to what you will hear, what we will hear around us every day. This man was unable to cope. This man was unable to function with all and everything that he had, his palatial home, his travel schedule throughout the world, as a respected scientist, left him empty. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a successful career. There's nothing wrong with being prosperous. There's nothing wrong with using the things of this world to glorify God in your life. Nothing wrong with it at all. But if that's all you have, if that's what you draw fulfillment from, you'll be left empty and in great need. Jeremiah the prophet thousands of years ago called out to Judah who had left their source of living water for substitute sources that were broken and failed to quench their thirst. Listen to Jeremiah 2 verse 13. He says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's what we do when we leave the source of living water. We dig our own cisterns. We go our own way. We make receptacles that we think can hold water and refresh us. And that picture and message from Jeremiah may be thousands of years old now, but it's as relevant to us today as it was for Judah when Jeremiah spoke it thousands of years ago. Any alternative source that substitutes Jesus is superficial 
and broken. Let's say it as it is. The world has a vast array of sources that it wants you to drink from, a vast array of sources that it wants to quench your thirst with, but let's say it as it is. They are broken, they are faulty, and they will not quench the thirst and the need, the spiritual need that you have for life. Only life is found in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Years ago, our king, then Prince Charles, said, for all the advances of science, there remains deep in the soul a persistent and conscious anxiety that something is missing, some ingredient that makes life worth living is not there. Well, the missing ingredient is not something, it's someone. It's our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He makes life worth living. He's the end of our thirst. So, what does it mean to drink of Jesus? What does it mean? Well, John was careful to record exactly what Jesus meant when He used the word drink, because drinking here in verse 37 is one and the same as believing. That's what John is showing us as he remembers those wonderful words, those inviting words of Jesus in the temple that day. Drinking is the same as believing, and we know that because immediately after Jesus calls us to drink, in verse 37, in verse 38, Jesus uses the word believe. Remember how we said at the beginning of this series? John's gospel has been called the gospel of belief. It's full of direction to believe in Jesus, the Christ, as the Son of the living God. And in believing, we find life in His name. Here it comes up again. John is emphasizing Jesus is emphasizing that drinking is believing. Listen to verse 37 and verse 38 again, and watch how the action of drinking of Jesus and believing in Him are one and the same. John 7, verse 37 through to verse 38, it says this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is showing us here in these very verses, in this very invitation, that drinking is believing and believing is drinking. And this was also pointed out by Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 35, where He confirmed how believing in Him eradicates all thirst. Just like natural thirst is quenched by drinking, so spiritual thirst. And the thirst within our needy souls are quenched as we believe and drink on Him. John 6 verse 35, Jesus says, He who believes in Me shall never thirst. So, drinking is a picture used for 
believing. And therefore, by believing in Jesus, we have complete satisfaction for our lives and our deepest needs. And then finally, this invitation shows us the blessing we will be. The blessing we will be. Have you ever thought about your life being a blessing? Being a blessing to others? Well, this invitation is not just about us being blessed. It's about us being a blessing. And that's so exciting because it's contained within this promise that Jesus makes. As we receive from Him, we will become rivers of life for others around us. As you receive and you drink for your needy life, you will receive or others will receive from you. Having your thirst met, others will receive rivers of blessing from your life. We're not blessed just to be blessed. We're blessed to be a blessing. And that's the picture within the promise here. That's the picture within the invitation. We're not only drinking to receive satisfaction for our own lives. Our own lives now become refreshing rivers for others outside of our own experience. Through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, He enables us to be a blessing, to be like rivers in a parched world, to be like rivers among people who are desperately thirsty for meaning and purpose in their lives. Suddenly, our lives change from being like a dead sea that just has an inlet or a self-obsessed swamp that only has a source into it, but no source out. A life changes, is transformed into being like rivers from which the Holy Spirit flows out. Listen again to verses 38 and 39. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this He meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Your life, my life, has a wonderful purpose in God to be used, to be a blessing, to be used, to be a source of life giving water to others around us. Isn't that what happened in Acts chapter 2 when we, when we read it? On the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit came 
amongst 120 disciples who were praying. Before the Holy Spirit came, these disciples were hidden away in an upper room, afraid of the world around them, but Jesus had told them. Jesus had commanded them to wait in Jerusalem to receive the promised Holy Spirit from the Father. And they waited. What were they doing when they were waiting? They were recognizing their needy, thirsty condition. They recognized that they were in need. They recognized that they couldn't reach the world that Jesus was sending them into from their own substance. They were in need. They had a needy condition. But as they went to Jerusalem, as they waited and prayed for some 40 days, they took action, you see. They took action. And they went. They changed all of their priorities to meet the command and the direction that Jesus had given. They realized that they had a needy condition. Their souls were thirsty for more. But not only did they need, realize that they had a needy condition, they took action. They obeyed the Word of God and did what Jesus commanded them to do. And then when the great day of Pentecost came, a sound like a rushing wind filled the whole house. Tongues of fire came on their head. They were filled, transformed with the life power of the Holy Spirit. And they partook. They drank of the Spirit. They didn't resist Him. They partook of who He was. And then, as they went out, that, that wonderful power of the Holy Spirit and His life could not be contained in a little upper room, hidden away for them just to be blessed. No, they were filled and empowered with rivers of life, not just to be blessed privately, but to be a blessing publicly within the world in which they lived. And out they went, declaring the wonderful works of God in many, many different languages as the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. What was the result? Rivers of living water. Rivers of living water flowed out of those 120 disciples, and by the end of the day, 3,000 people had been won to Christ as Peter stood up and called them to repent, to turn from their sin, and to turn to Christ Jesus. 3,000 people received life from those 120 disciples who were baptized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus had ascended into heaven, and now He had passed the baton to those 120 disciples who were fearful initially, who were scared, who had lots of issues within their own lives, never mind meeting and reaching the world around them, but they were so transformed by the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit that they were sent out into their world, and from within them, rivers of living water now touched all of those that were gathered, tens of thousands again of people gathered in Jerusalem, Jews from all over the world, suddenly, now, drinking, drinking of that living water that Jesus 
had promised to provide. And then on from there, you read through the book of Acts, you'll see it. On from those 3,000, the church begins to grow exponentially without any kind of aid from anyone else outside of it. It begins to grow as rivers of living water begin to flow out from all of those that had received and drank from the Spirit of God. Exponentially, it begins to grow until it begins to spread right across the world. The power of the Spirit, the power of anointed people coming together collectively to seek God, quench their thirst, and meet the needs of the world it was incredible. And that's how the kingdom spread and the church was built. Today, let's again think of this wonderful invitation given by Jesus to us. I can ask the musicians to come and James to come just to play as we close. Think about those words, that invitation today again. Whoever believes in me, Jesus said, as the Scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this He meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. The Spirit has been given. The Spirit of God is here. He is our helper. He is our counselor. He is the one that lives within us and abides with us. One of my favorite Verses from one of John's epistles is about the Holy Spirit. And he says this, he says, There is an anointing that abides within you, whereby you have no need that any man teach you concerning anything. For the anointing will teach you concerning all things. When the Holy Spirit is in your life, He will guide you, He will lead you, He will help you with anything and everything big or small, big or small. Are you thirsty today as a believer? Thirst no more. To quench your thirst, you don't have to jump through hoops with God. To quench your thirst, you don't have to, you know, walk through a process and a number of steps in order for Him to fulfill your need. You just have to recognize you're thirsty. Recognize your needy condition, like we said. And then take action. Take action. Take the appropriate steps that you need to take to come to Christ, to come to Jesus. See all other sources outside of Him as, as faulty, as broken. They will not quench your thirst, no matter how good they are, no matter what promises they make. Only Jesus and time with Him, relishing in His presence, reading His Word, 
will quench the needy thirst of your heart, satisfy you completely. Recognize your condition. Take the necessary action and then partake. Drink. Just believe. Believe in Him. And you will find complete satisfaction. Complete satisfaction. And not only complete satisfaction for yourself, but He will show you the blessing you can be. The blessing you can be. Simple message, but what a life-transforming one if we take it up. What a life-transforming invitation that Jesus gives to our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thirst no more, child of God. If you're here this morning and you've, you've never asked Jesus into your heart, you've never believed on Him, can you recognize that your life is in need today? Can you recognize that you've been trying to satisfy your thirst for life and living in so many ways that never come to anything, that always remain faulty and broken? Can you recognize that? If you can recognize that you have a need, that's a, you're at a great point in life. If you recognize you have a need that you're thirsty, then right now, I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to help you to take the necessary action that you need to take to come to Jesus. Just like He calls in this invitation. I'm going to help you make that decision to come to Christ Jesus. And then by believing, you're going to partake of Him. It's easy. It's the easiest thing in the world. And that's why religious people hate it. That's why religious people tried to kill him. You know, there were people in John chapter 7, Jewish leaders, that were trying to kill Jesus that day in the temple. Others were questioning his identity. You read John chapter 7 and you'll see that there's 19 questions in this chapter alone that's questioning Jesus' identity. And to all of them, to those that hated him, to those Jews that tried to murder him, he said, come. He didn't turn his back on them. He didn't try to fight them. He didn't try, try to challenge them. He said to, to those who were seething with anger, vying for his blood, trying to kill him, even to them, he said, come to me. I'm the end of your thirst. I'm the end of your search. And to us today, He's the end of our thirst. I'm going to pray right now. Let's close our eyes for a moment. This is a very important moment. Because if you're here, or if you're watching online, you may have been trying to satisfy your thirst of life in all kinds of things, good things, shameful things, sinful things. And it's got you in a mess. And it's left you empty. It's left you under the darkness of shame. You, you, you feel this gnawing emptiness inside. I'm going to pray right now for you. And Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, 
is going to satisfy your thirst and you will not thirst again by placing simple faith in Him. By believing in Him. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you just to repeat a prayer with me quietly in your heart. The prayer isn't magical, but it, it's just going to formalize what's already taken place in your heart right now by believing on the Lord as your Savior and drawing from Him for your need. Pray this with me quietly in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, today I come to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. You were punished for my sins. And I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I believe in you to save me. I believe in you to satisfy me. I believe in you for new life. Come into my heart this day, I pray. Be the Prince of Peace. Be the Lord of my life. Satisfy my thirst. Lord, I confess that I have tried to satisfy my thirst in all of the wrong sources within this world. And I've been left dry and empty. But today, I come to you. I come to you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. I drink of you from this day forward. I ask this in your name. Not only to satisfy my thirst, but for my life to be like rivers of blessing by the power of your Spirit, even to those around me and about me. In Jesus' name.